Lone Star 187 is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Case File 05, The Wamsleys. Hello. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. So this week, our story is about Rick and Susanna Wamsley. They lived in Mansfield, Texas. On December 11th, 2003, there was a 911 call made. Mansfield police were dispatched to the home of Rick and Susanna. When they got there, they discovered Rick and Susanna dead inside their home. Susanna was found in the living room on the couch with a single gunshot wound to her head, multiple stab wounds in her chest. Rick was found in the hallway. He had multiple gunshot wounds and stab wounds to his head and chest. And there were two sets of bloody footprints. Yes. Throughout the living room and the dining room and entryway. Yep. And they didn't find any signs of forced entry and nothing appeared to be missing. No, I mean, you could tell that Rick put up a fight because there was signs of struggle and like they started in one place and moved to another. And it was obvious that they had been dead for many hours, eight to 12 hours is what it seemed. So it wasn't a fresh scene, which I think would make it... A fresh (laughs) scene? A fresh bloody scene. I think it would be much more eerie, I would think, as a policeman to arrive on a scene where... A 911 call has been made from the home with no notification of what's going on. Just a Yeah, they didn't call, say anything. Up. They just called and then did they hang up? Because I read that one of them said that the call was just open. It was an open call. Yeah. It, Does they, that mean they just call and hung up? They or they just call called up. and it stayed open? Like I think they, they called and up. just hung up. Just enough so they knew where oh. it came from. And they would they would get there. But, I mean, obviously these people had been dead for multiple hours. So who made that call? Yeah. And had to be from inside the house, so it's not like it was a concerned neighbor. It was from the actual residence. Is it possible it was Rick? But he's been dead for 8 to 12 oh, that's hours. True. Did the dog dial? Did the cat <laughs> dial? We don't know. Do they have pets? I don't know. Maybe the bird did it. <laughs> so Susanna Wamsley was born on December 30th of 1957. A lot of people described her as always having a very big smile. She was tall, and people always commented about her vibrant red hair. Like uh, some of her friends I read, people would come up to her in the store and say, oh my goodness, your hair is so beautiful. What dye number do you use? Yep. And she thought God, she, like, she got a kick out of it because it was her natural red hair. She always went out of her way to help others. I read in a couple articles that there was a lady, I guess, in the neighborhood that was moving to an assisted living house. And so she wanted to help her and she was making... I think she's giving her blankets Mm -hmm. to go to the assisted living. And she was known in the community where she lived that if a death had happened in the family, she was the first one to go over and bring home-cooked meals or do anything they needed. So she was always at people's doorstep whenever they needed help. Rick Wamsley was born on August 30th of 1957. Friends and family described him as being very tall. I believe they said he was 6'4 at his time of passing, Mm -hmm. but he was tall most of his life, uh, very handsome. He was a high school athlete. He attended Oklahoma State University and studied art in Oklahoma Christian College. And then he went out to get his CPA license, Mm -hmm. so he was very good at accounting. And he was also known as as a big helper. I think he 
built a, a garden in their backyard, I believe, in like a fountain, and he would give time to people in the neighborhood to do their lawn or fix things here and there like a handyman just to be helpful. So mm-hmm. it's a very helpful couple together. Rick and Susanna married in 1978 when they were both 20 years old, and all of family and friends described them like always. They were the perfect couple. Of course. They had... Isn't that what happens every time? Every time they seem perfect from the outside. Yeah. They had their first child named Sarah, the little girl, uh, seven months after their wedding, and she was born on Valentine's Day of 1979. Wait, hold up. Seven months after they married? Seven months after their wedding. So she was pregnant when they got married. Or maybe she was a preemie? We don't know. Oh, good point. She could have been. And then they welcomed their second child, uh, a boy named Andrew, July 7th of 1984. So five years apart between the two kids. Uh, Rick worked for oil companies in Houston, Salt Lake City, Utah. And then lastly, they moved to Dallas. Of course, Mansfield is just outside of Dallas. Because he was a CPA, he made his home office in their home. So he didn't have to rent an office building. He was at home majority of the time. And Susie spent most of her life being a homemaker, you know, helping out others. But she did have a little booth at a local antique mall where she would make crafts and blankets and such and sell them, you know, for extra money. In 1995, they moved to Mansfield, Texas, and they moved into the home on 820 Turnberry Drive in the Walnut Estates Mm -hmm. edition. Very fancy. Yeah, those are some big houses. huge. On November the 9th, 2003, which would have been about a month and a half before the murder, Rick and Susanna were driving to Chili's for lunch in Burleson with their daughter, Sarah. Okay. So the three of them are driving in the car, and as Rick is exiting off the highway, he hears something slam into the car on the passenger side. He hears a loud thud. So they continue driving, and they go into the restaurant parking lot, and they find a bullet hole in the panel of the Jeep Laredo they were driving. Oh, shit. And they filed a a police report, but... The scary thing is, is that after they heard the loud thud, they see a white Mustang zoom past them right after the noise was made. So as they're pulling into the restaurant parking lot, Suzanne calls their son Andrew and says, where the fuck are you? So they hear this thud. They see this white Mustang go by, which their son Andrew owned a white Mustang. Uh Oh, he has a white Mustang. And they call him and ask him, where the fuck are you? So why would they think that what that he hit them? Yeah. So while they're at Chili's eating, no one talks about it. Like it's they just pretend like it didn't happen. Let's not talk about the giant situation that just happened where one of us could have gotten killed. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, my first question when I read that is why would that be their first instinct to call him? Because well, if they see a white Mustang and he has a Mustang, that's why I would do it. Unless there was some other like if they didn't see the white Mustang, would they have still assumed it was him? That's a good question. I mean, maybe just because he has the same kind of cars while they thought to call him. And then to call and say, where the F are you? Not, yeah. did you just pass us or did you hit us or were you trying to get I'm our sure attention? I'm sure he wasn't the only teenager or person in DFW who had a white Mustang. Well, and they're in Burleson and they live in Mansfield. Right. So, I mean, I know they're close together, but yeah. they're two different towns. Why? So it just kind of was like interesting why they would think it was him. Yeah. So then um, to go into... Andrew and his history, his family and neighbors and friends described him as impulsive and immature. On an isolated incident on Rick's one of Rick's birthday dinners that year, which was August, they were at a restaurant and 
the dad ordered chips and queso, so they're all sitting around eating, and the queso was almost gone. So Andrew was like, are you going to order some more? Because we're all, you know, and he's like, no, our food's coming. So he proceeded to pick up empty bowl of queso and throw it at the wall. Oh, let's just do that. And throw a giant tantrum when, I mean, you're how old? Can you not pay for another or well, another bowl of queso yourself? Your food's coming. It'll be fine. It's an appetizer, not a meal. And he, he told him he hated him. So he threw it against the wall and told him, I, I hate you. Just And obviously, it's a, like a Jennifer Aniston moment. It's not about the lemons. <laughs> it was not about the cheese, obviously. <laughs> so one of Andrew's friends said there was one night they were at the house. They were watching a movie. And his dad asked Andrew to give him one of the overdue videos that were due. Because, you know, back in the, the 90s. Blockbuster days. <laughs> we had to return those videos. Or we'd At least have you a, didn't have to rewind them. <laughs> <laughs> Be kind. Please rewind. Exactly. Right? So he told him, you have to give me the video back. I need to go to the store and return it or I'm going to have to pay late fee. And he's like, no, I'm not going to stop watching the movie. So his dad took it out of the VCR and Andrew took it from him and threw it across the room at him, hit him in the head and drew blood. Wow. So he had some definite, definite anger issues towards his dad, at least for sure. And police did say that there was one domestic disturbance called at the Turnberry house while they lived there. So they moved in 1995 and the murder happened in 2003. So in eight years, there was one domestic disturbance call. I mean, I guess maybe that's not bad. I mean, growing up in our family, we never had domestic disturbance calls. I mean, if we had arguments, they never escalated enough to where we or someone in the neighborhood had to call no, cops. No, I mean, I'm, we had arguments, but not to the extreme. No, and he Andrew worked for Putt-Putt Golf. <laughs> and he had quit his job there because it was just too difficult. Um, he was a manager at one point there. And former co-worker described him as being a jerk, very arrogant, and he thought highly of himself, especially being in a manager standpoint. So he did kind of hang that over other co-workers' heads. Narcissist. And in the fall of 2003, which is when the murders happened, he did drop out of college, which his parents were very infuriated with because they had paid this money for him to go to school. They wanted him to have a future, as we all do, we want for our kids. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of was giving up. So his parents cut him off financially. That's when he got the job at Putt-Putt and didn't last very long. He had a girlfriend. Her name was Chelsea Richardson. Our tie to this case was I graduated in um, May of 2003. Me and him are similar in age. Mm -hmm. And me and some high school friends that summer had gone to a party in Dallas. And Chelsea was there. Wow. And I remember seeing her. And I remember thinking, where... Did she come from? Like, what rock did she crawl from underneath of? I mean, why? What well, about her so, stuck out to you that you remember her from this long ago and just a yeah. random party? So I've never felt that I was high maintenance. Like, to get ready for a party, 30 minutes, I'm ready to go. You know, like, I didn't do all the extra. I mean, I know now there's, like, highlighting and bronzing and all that. But even then, like, it was just basic. I just felt... Eyeliner, mascara, yeah, you're good. A little lip gloss, I'm good to go. So not much. I mean, you know, and find a cute outfit... You know, jeans and a t-shirt, nothing crazy. And that's how me and all my friends were. So we go to this party, and it's an obvious party, and there was people from different schools. I mean, we'd all graduated that year. This girl walks in, and I thought maybe she was from a different place, like didn't know where she was at, because she didn't have... I mean, I know you don't have to wear makeup to be pretty, but like you, a lot of us, you know, looking for boys or, you know, interest... And a little something, something. <laughs> you, she walks in and it's like she crawled from underneath a rock. Like her hair was all matted looking and like she was wearing an, like an oversized t-shirt and it looked like kind of pajama pants and like tennis shoes. And she just didn't look like she was there to party. She like looked maybe like she was just trying to go to Starbucks and then go back home. Like 
maybe she was going to sleep in the hotel room we were in and just like didn't want to hang out. Like, I'm not here to party. Like, I need something. My car is out of gas. Can someone drive me somewhere? Like, she just didn't look like she, she was, was there was out to of place for sure. Very, like a sore thumb she stuck out. And she just sat in one of the chairs and like didn't really talk to anyone and just kind of sat there. And I just remember seeing her and I was like, she is so weird. And I remember one girl talking to her and her name was Chelsea. And I just remember her face distinctly. So like a year later. Who was she there with? She was just there by herself. She didn't so come with this anyone. had, it wasn't anything to do with Andrew or his sister. No. She was there it was just 100%, a random party. 100% by, her, by herself. And she had That's those weird. very weird round glasses. And I mean, I wore glasses, but there's just something about her that just stuck out. Like she just didn't belong. And going to school in Plano, a lot of people think like everybody's rich there. And so whenever she said she's from Mansfield, because there are people from Dallas, there are people from mm-hmm. Grand Prairie there. Like there's just a lot of people there from all around the Metroplex that had graduated. And so it was just, she just stuck out to me. So later on, when I heard about her, I was like, OMG. Like I saw her at a party. I was in the same, I shared oxygen with her. <laughs> WTF. Like it was crazy. So I saw her at one point. I never spoke to her. Yeah. I just saw her. She was just, and I she shared made a, an imprint. She just was a very out of place looking person. Yeah. This girl, Chelsea, was Andrew's girlfriend. He basically was very troubled. He lived in a very rich area, so he always mm-hmm. had what he wanted. He had a fairly new white Mustang. I mean, I didn't have a brand new car at 16. Mm-mm. I didn't get my brand new car until I could afford to buy it myself. And I had friends that were rich, and their parents had a lot of money. So I had one friend that had a brand new car, and she I rode with her to school. So, I mean, in Plano, a lot of people had, there were BMWs and there were Mercedes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But I wasn't one of those people, you know, mom and dad wanted us to work for what we had, but him coming from a family with a lot of money that happens where the parents have the money. And so they want to give it to their kids. And I can understand that. Yeah. We don't make a lot of money, but what we do have, we want to give to our kids sensibly. Yeah. So that's kind of who Andrew was. His sister, Sarah, she also had a very troubling past with her parents. She was sent to a psych facility when she was 16. And while she was there, she was diagnosed with being bipolar and having personality disorder characterized by extreme mood swings. That just means bipolar though, right? Isn't that what bipolar is? Being bipolar is, is that extreme mood swings and... Essentially, yeah. So it's just But she's also 16, so... Yeah. I mean, no, they always have mood swings. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. In March of 1997, three weeks before she was to graduate high school, uh, her parents kicked her out and threw all her belongings in the front yard. So when she arrived home... So everybody in the neighborhood knows your business now because all your shit's out there. And at this point, that's two years after they've lived there. So not a really great impression for the Walnut Estates (laughs) edition to see. I wonder if there was a Gladys Kravitz across the street with her coffee looking out the window and go, well, looks like Sarah's getting her ass kicked right on out of there. (laughs) Did you see that? And she had a boyfriend named Todd Cleveland, and he was in college already. He was a little bit older. So she just took all her stuff and moved in with him. And while they were living together, she did get pregnant. Two years later, she had a daughter with him, and they broke up. And while they were trying to figure out how to handle things, she wasn't able to care for her at all. So she basically signed all her rights over to Todd temporarily until she could get her shit together. I mean, just two or three years prior to this, 
she was diagnosed with being bipolar. Well, good for her for doing the best thing for her daughter. I mean, I that agree. had to be difficult. But I agree. If I can't be what's best for you, mm-hmm. I'd rather someone who's stable yeah. can. I'm sure that was hard, but good on her for making the right decision there. That's true. I agree. And then she worked at a, as a teller at a finance company, but then she started struggling with alcohol. The year before the murder, she was arrested for plowing her car into a fence and trying to flee police while drunk, and she got DWI. So both of these kids, unfortunately, were privileged, obviously, mm-hmm. and maybe... Their parents spent more money on them than not just being there. Because sometimes if you make that much money, maybe you're working a lot. But the thing is, is like, you said that he's a CPA and he works from home. And the mom's a homemaker. So they're home all the time. So that's fair. It's not like they're gone all the time. Did they go on extravagant trips together without the kids? I don't know. So like they were all in the same house, but maybe not cohesive. Maybe, I mean, they may have physically been there, but maybe they weren't there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're all, they're, they're there, but... One's in the room, the other's in the room. The dad's on the computer working and the mom's baking cookies. Mm-hmm. And she, after she got the DWI, she told some coworkers she wanted to hurt herself. So she swallowed a bunch of her antidepressants and she was sent to the hospital to have her stomach pumped. I mean, they both obviously suffer from mental problems. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's bipolar. He obviously had some type of aggression. So, I mean, in my opinion, after hearing the incident where they were shot at even though sarah was in the car how do we know sarah didn't hire someone to shoot yeah. them or was it andrew was he trying to kill the parents did they maybe they're working together to kill the parents maybe or maybe I mean, somebody maybe somebody finally had it with andrew and his attitude and thought maybe andrew might be in the car yeah yeah i mean if you're an asshole like that and people don't like you and you're a narcissist and all that we've already talked about guns in texas mm-hmm. we don't mess around here mm-hmm. so so now Maybe knowing, he pissed somebody off. and So now knowing they both have obviously a lengthy history with their, not only just with their, any mental problems they may have, but with their parents. I mean, the there mom. There must have been some kind of emotional abuse or maybe not physical, but some kind of an abuse there. Well, and I mean, I don't know what it's like to have a teenager yet, but you do. You've had two of them. Yeah. I mean. It can be difficult at times. Kick them out and throw their belongings in the front yard. It's pretty extreme. It sounds kind of humiliating a little bit well it sounds really extreme i don't know i can't say i don't think i would do that but i don't know what yeah. happened put in those specific circumstances yeah we, don't, we know. don't know we're only reporting what we've found on the internet right we both know that there's probably a whole lot of things that oh, have yeah. happened i mean that didn't one, make it out yeah that, so it's just one isolated incident we yeah. don't know what led up to that yeah um so they both clearly had issues with the with the parents they had their incidents with them, mm-hmm. as well as both having some type of mental imbalance. Yeah. So the case must have had a lot of evidence because the following month, in January of 2004, uh, police issued eight subpoenas, including Andrew, his sister Sarah, his girlfriend Chelsea, Chelsea's friend Susanna, Toledano and four others that weren't named. Okay. But those four were first. And they were required to submit the DNA. And whenever the police issued the subpoenas, Andrew, Chelsea, and Susanna all arrived together, but Sarah arrived by herself. So it's interesting they all arrived together. Mm -hmm. So they all arrived together, and the first thing the police notice is that Andrew's girlfriend, Chelsea, has dyed hair. She had blonde dyed hair. And whenever they were... You mean bleached? Yeah. Okay. bleached. Whenever they were examining the scene where Rick was, he had a handful of hair in his hand. Uh Uh-oh. And Chelsea was the only person that had blonde hair. 
Because as we know, his wife had fire red hair. Mm-hmm. He had brown hair. Andrew had brown hair. Not very long. Susanna has brown hair. But Chelsea arrives with blonde What color shirt. hair does Sarah have? Brown. Okay. So no one... No, she's the only one. So okay. they're like, gold huh. mine, ting ting. We can't wait to get her DNA. So they get her DNA. It takes them till March to fully wow. get all of the DNA well, back. Well, this was in the in the early 2000s. Yeah, it was in so 2004. So it was still the beginning of DNA processing. So. so in March, they're able to confirm that the DNA in Rick's fist was Chelsea's. So the hair did belong to Chelsea. Correct. So in April... They send out a warrant for Susana Toledano's arrest because they found some of her DNA. She was 19 and she was in Illinois, so they had to extradite her back to Texas. On April the 6th, the next day, a new character, Hilario Cardenas, was arrested and he's an IHOP manager and he's the oldest of them. He's 24. And then on April the 8th, Chelsea and Andrew are both arrested and charged with capital murder based on the evidence. Mm -hmm. And whenever Cardenas is arrested, now he's married and he has a four-year-old daughter. This is the IHOP manager, right? He sings like a songbird. Oh, like a canary. So because he basically gives them what they want, what they needed on a silver platter, they're able to charge Andrew and Chelsea with capital murder based on the evidence. And that he was only a part of it because he was propositioned by Andrew and his girlfriend Chelsea to kill them initially, but then he just became part of it. But he wasn't he had the too actual much to murder. lose if he's yeah. married and has kids, right? And they were all three held on one million dollar bond. But Cardenas had a lesser charge, so he was able to to bond out. April 19th, Andrew did give a, give a statement that he was the one that shot and stabbed his parents to death. So he confessed. So he, he confesses and that the motive was a $1 million life insurance policy and assets. Okay. So he did it for money. He Absolutely. wanted the money. Yes. And that's how he conned these other people to help him. And his sister, Sarah, was convinced before the arrest that in March, she filed papers in probate court to block her brother's inheritance from any assets in the life insurance because she knew he had something to do with it. Because I did read that, but I was thinking that happened after the fact. No. So she did that before. Before they even had any evidence. after the shooting of, of the car or even before that? No, in March. So it would be three months after the murder. She knew he had something to do with it. Oh, so three so, months after the murder. Okay, yeah, yeah. So in early March, she was like, I want any anything set in motion. I don't want him to have any money because this is why he did it. Well, he got an attorney because he has all this money now. Right. And he filed papers denying the accusations. And because at that time there was no proof, he was able to get his share of the money. Oh, but he so he got it anyway? They both got it. That then sucks. on July 1st, 2004... Uh, the grand jury indicts Andrew, Chelsea, and Toledano for capital murder and Cardenas on conspiracy to commit murder. But no trial dates were set at that time. So how did these four people meet in a way to devise this kind of plan? Because, I mean, if Andrew was just after the money, he could have done it by himself. But he has him, his girlfriend this other girl, and then an IHOP night manager. So how did the four of them congeal to hatch this plan? Good question. So for Chelsea Richardson and her friends, the IHOP that you mentioned in Arlington was their home away from home. That's where Chelsea met Andrew. Like Chelsea's brother, 
Andrew loved Yu-Gi-Oh. They're quoted as saying, we'd sit there eight hours straight and play, says one of Andrew's friends. It's a lot safer than drugs, but just as expensive. We'd stay there until six in the morning. Chelsea didn't really care for the game, but she would still sit there and hang out with them. So her brother liked it. She would go there with her brother, and that's why she was there. And then that's how, so Chelsea and Andrew met at IHOP playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. She didn't play. She'd watch. She didn't play. Yeah. Okay. So a friend of Chelsea's, Ruth Brewstrom, said about Chelsea that she could make friends with the devil himself. She was a family friend who had known Chelsea since she was nine. And Ruth's husband, Ray, had taken the role of father to Richardson and her siblings after their dad passed away. Mm. So it was like Ruth and Ray were their mom and dad, kind of. And Ray worked construction and raised fighting roosters. He passed away in August 2012. If Chelsea's life seemed aimless, losing two fathers back to back wasn't good. Didn't help, right? And so Andrew Wamsley's home had every comfort, but he loved Brewstrom's place in the country where double wide trailers on a few acres are the norm. So it was a complete opposite of what he, you know, city life, suburbia. And then so they would hang out over there a lot because it was out in the country, lots of farm, animals, roosters. And I'm sure a lifestyle he just wasn't used to. Yeah, he wasn't exposed to it very much. So Andrew and Chelsea began coming to their five-acre spread just outside of Burleson in the spring of 2003 to hang out, enjoy the laid-back atmosphere. And their house started as a mobile home, but several additions later, it still has plywood walls and floors in some rooms, no air conditioning. The Confederate flag flaps from several barn-red outbuildings. Goodness. At the back of the property sat a couple of junk cars and a shallow pond. Andrew would sit and talk for hours to the easygoing Brewstrom, except for the large tattoo of a rose surrounded by the words, In Loving Memory of Ray, on her right arm, Ruth looked remarkably like Andrew's mother. Same smile, same freckles, and the same curly red hair. She says Andrew seemed like a really sweet kid. The best guy she had brought out here. He seemed real honest. So I guess Chelsea had brought some really bad guys out there. So I guess he was a good guy. Andrew had been working at Putt-Putt, which we talked about that. Chelsea was looking for a job. She talked about becoming a lawyer or maybe a nurse, but was making no strides in that direction. Rick and Susie had planned for Andrew to attend college, wanting him to become a CPA, but he was more interested in cars. Though he was enrolled at the Tarrant County College, but like you said, he skipped class and didn't want to go. He told Ruth that he hated his sister Sarah he said Sarah once slammed his head into a water heater. They didn't get along. Dang. Yeah. Well, who knows what he was doing to get his head pushed in there. I mean, he also threw a tape at his dad. Fair enough. So, right. I mean. I mean, maybe Sarah was defending herself. Yeah. Who knows? And Ruth goes on to say that Andrew seemed to like his mom and dad okay, but he didn't tell Ruth about his sister's stormy adolescence or his own severe conflicts with his parents. The parents' polished exterior, you know, hid the troubled relationships with their children and went well beyond the usual teenage tensions, as we've already talked about. Several family acquaintances portray the Wamsleys as controlling and suspicious of outsiders. Hmm. So Susie was raised in the Church of Christ, but they didn't attend church. So I don't know how that's possible. I guess they went to church when she was little mm -hmm. and then just stopped going because mm -hmm. that's, I guess, Andrew didn't go. Maybe she was just raised in a Church of Christ family. Right. You know, like a lot of our family in Abilene's very Pentecostal. So growing right. up, I would always go to Pentecostal church with Aunt Mary. But I would say I was raised Pentecostal, but I don't go to a Pentecostal church. Yeah. So both kids believe that people were only nice to them for their own reasons or because they wanted something. What one of Sarah's former boyfriends said. 
So by the fall of 2003, Andrew dropped out of college. Like you said, his parents cut him off. So he's virtually living at Richardson's house, uh, which was filthy with roaches crawling on the ceiling. See, now now you know what I mean? Yes. Like when she walked in, I could just oh, tell like... yeah, that's Like it. she was just like... She was just very out of place. Not like from a financial standpoint, but like we were all like clean and put together and then like this girl walks in that's just not together. Uh, yeah, they actually... His parents were quoted as saying... They thought she was poor white trash. Dang. Mm-hmm. Like when she walked in, I, you know, they thought Chelsea was poor white trash. Yep. That's what it says. There's the one area in Plano off Spring Creek in 75. I thought that's where she came from when she walked in. I was like, she must be from Plano. She must be from 75 and Spring Creek. Oh yeah. 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 That's I where I thought maybe about. she had come from because that's just what, that's just kind of how she looked. Not um, to offend anyone that lives in that area. No, I mean we have we've had family that lives in trailer parks. In trailer? I we almost got a trailer or a double wide in a trailer park. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's some people in that live in that area that are fit had that, that they fit that that stereotype because there's a lot of them. Not everyone's that way, but there were some like that, and that's just where I. Assume so. Maybe I'm the salty one because I kind of maybe judged you are, her. Because so far we haven't really found anybody. So no, but I was going to be the salt in the story. I think I, I think I deserve the salty <laughs> award. I need to drink some water. Because... Okay, cheers to the salty award, yeah, the podcaster. T- cheers. Because I, I, I was judging her hardcore. At least you're honest about it. I am completely. I probably would have been. And at I least never, I've never felt like I was better than her by any means. I don't know her. I just felt that. Something wasn't right she about was her. Place. I mean, I, there were a lot of girls there that were wearing things they shouldn't have been wearing. But there was just things. It that, was in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, it was more so like it I, wasn't like sweats and a baggy I, shirt. It I think was I like I saw her Volvo. Like a, not sure, <laughs> like a tube top and yeah. Well, this was you know two thousand three, so like chokers were still in, and um, those really big flip flops, like the platform flip flops. Mm-hmm. With, like, the white shorts, and the girls would show off their fake tans. And, like, the white shorts and, like, the belly shirts and the giant flip-flops, you know? And the the fake tan would be rubbing off on the white shorts. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Didn't let it dry. Um, so, Andrew and Chelsea were spending lots of time at the IHOP, who were often joined by Toledano, who also moved in with the Richardsons after a conflict with her mother. So she must have had a really, really bad issue with her mom to go live in a house with roaches. Yeah. I don't I mean, know what kind of situation she was in. But. No. Well, in Toledano, from what I read, her and Chelsea were best friends. Okay. So before Chelsea and Andrew started dating and they met at IHOP, Toledano would sometimes come to the IHOP where Chelsea was with her brother. Obviously, I'm sure to get away from the roach-infested house oh, they lived in. Gross. Um and so Toledano would go there. So Toledano, or Susanna is her first name, had gotten into a, a falling out with her mom and moved in with Chelsea and her mom and her brother. And then there is a there's a video on YouTube, which we'll put, we can put the link in the post, um, where they interview her mm-hmm. and her brother. And her brother says that it was very weird to have someone living in the home that wasn't family. Especially, I'm sure, for him, because he was an older brother. And then there's, like, his younger sister and then her friend living in the house. So Chelsea and Toledano were, you know, best friends. They go to IHOP and then she's introduced to Andrew. So that's kind of, I guess, how the three of them just start forming a bond because they're there. I mean, if they're there 
all night long, which is what we said earlier, you know, they go and play this game and they're there all night long. You start forming a bond with people when you spend that much time with them. And when you have a best friend, like I know in, in high school and up until I met Russell, when you have a best friend, when you've been single for a while, when you have a best friend, when you start dating someone, the best friend just kind of comes along. Yep. You know, so you spend all your time with this person. So wherever you go, they come too. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, pretty normal. So yeah. I guess Andrew it was Andrew, Chelsea, and then uh, Susanna all the time. So Susanna was struggling to finish high school while working at a fast food joint. She and Chelsea had been buddies for several years. They had taken out a page in the Everman High School 2003 senior yearbook with photos of them, cartoon drawings of saucy females, and the mottos, naughty and nice, smile now, cry later, and up to no good. I would oh, I would yeah. not have... Yeah, that's... That would not have been the hashtag that if I saw either. her. So anchoring the page was a poem titled, Friends Are Forever, written by Chelsea, and it goes... Who holds my hand in tragedy and stick up in a fallacy? Morals, values, strength, courage, and stick into you. That's what my friends see. That's kind of a lot of words to say nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Susanna occasionally came to Ruth's house with Chelsea and Andrew. um, And Ruth saw her as a girl with low self-esteem. And Ruth says that Chelsea could tell her to do anything and she would do it. So it seems like Chelsea was taking advantage of... Susanna and her low self-esteem. It sounds like Chelsea was vindictive is what I'm trying to say. Manipulative. Mm -hmm. So then Andrew, Chelsea, Susanna also befriended Cardenas, okay, who often worked during the hours that they came into the restaurant. And so, like you said, he was married. He had a four-year-old daughter, and he liked talking to the teens about everything from the game they like to play to tropical fish. So they say the conspiracy started with methods of murder that require minimum amount of personal involvement, like cutting the brake lines on vehicles, and from the beginning targeted not only Rick and Susie, but Sarah too. Uh, Andrew intended on killing her as well. That way he wouldn't have to split the money. What a selfish jerk. Mm -hmm. So they wanted it to be quick and easy, and that way their involvement would be... Well, like, no, no hands on deck, right? right. Like, oh, right. I was at work at Pub Putt. My family was in an awful crash. Like, right. how could I have something to do with that? Right. The crime was set in motion when Andrew got tired of their failed efforts at sabotaging cars and asked Cardenas to get them a gun. When Cardenas got them the gun, they had to practice it. And it was like a, cha- it was like a challenge or like a, a game to figure out who was the best shot. So they had all been practicing at the Brumstrom's house in the pond. Mm -hmm. And of the four of them, including Cardenas, of the four of them, Toledano was the best shot. So they decided to try and try and shoot them. So they're in his Mustang and they're driving, they're following his family and she shoots and she misses. And he gets so mad. I'm sure that she, did he honestly think that she was like a (laughs) stunt woman from a, like an action movie and she could just like one arm out the window, like a gangster and just pop, pop, pop all three of them. Like, what did he think she was going to do? They're in a Jeep Laredo and he's in a Mustang. (laughs) Like, Dumb. And is she from the back? Because there, there's no, like, so she's got to be in the, because I've been in them. Those Mustangs don't have four windows. No. I mean, it's not four door, it's two door. In the back of the Mustang, you don't have a, it's a fake window. You don't roll it down. So she's got to shoot from the back into through the, the front through window. the front window. Yeah. And then no wonder she got And so it's not going to go where you're. <laughs> so. Dumbass. So then they realize, okay, we need more practice because apparently we're not as good as we thought we were. <laughs> Dumb. 
Do if you, you want to get away with murder, ask us. No, no, we don't know. We don't know. We know what not to do. We well, and it's interesting how they have a giant leap from, like, I don't want to be involved. I just want to cut their brakes to let's shoot them on a moving highway right. out my white Mustang. You know, I'm sure they saw it on, on a movie on a movie several times where you're like, Barely hit the car and it explodes. Yeah. Like, that's what they thought was going to happen, right? Definitely it's going to be this not. big production. Yeah, because they heard if they... Now I remember they said if they if they shot the gas tank, yes, it would explode. Mm-hmm. Which... So they weren't movies, trying to shoot... They weren't trying to shoot people in the car. They wanted to shoot the gas tank. That's right. So that the car would explode. And then it would just be... Oh, no. Oh, no. It just... And, like, investigators wouldn't find combustion. that out. <laughs> yeah. And this happened. He... They gave Cardenas $200 to get a gun, and he bought it pri- right before Halloween. So they only had this gun for, like, what, five or six weeks, which isn't very long to learn how to shoot a gun. Especially, yep. I mean, it's obviously good that they, good in a way that they were using, oh, there's nothing good about it, take that out. <laughs> scratch that, producer, scratch that. So the four of them have this plan, right? Yep. Cardenas has bought them a gun. They apparently think that they're great shots because they've been shooting a shallow <laughs> pond in the Brumstrom's backyard. Right. So the four of them decide that they're going to they're going to do it in the middle of the night of the 11th. Cardenas decides, I don't need to be there. I gave you the gun. I did my part. You three handle it. I'm rolling. I'm out. So Chelsea, Andrew, and Susanna... Enter the home through the garage. Andrew uses his garage door opener and they go into the house. Mm-hmm. Once they enter the house, they see his mom, Susanna, laying on the couch, covered up with a blanket, which is wearing a shirt and underwear. And mm-hmm. she's asleep. Chelsea is very manipulative and, and convinced Susanna, if you're, if you're a really good friend, you'll help us do this. You know, you need to do this for us. This is what friends do for each other. We really need you. You know, just building her up manipulating the crap out of her and saying you have to do this Susanna has the gun so they're all standing there and they're like encourage her go 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 you need to do it you need to do it so she walks up and she's shaking but she points the gun and just fires and it hits Andrew's mom in the head and then Rick hears the gunshot so he gets up out of bed he's just in his boxer shorts Comes out to see what's going on. So he sees what's going on and there's a struggle. Susanna Susanna shoots him but it it doesn't kill him. Mm -hmm. She shoots him several times. Doesn't kill him. And she missed him, right? She missed him. So Chelsea is getting annoyed that it's taking too long. So she goes and gets a knife and she starts helping Susanna. And so she's stabbing him. So at this point, Rick is trying to fight both of them, which is why he had Chelsea's hair in his hand. I guess he just grabbed because even though Susanna was the one that shot them, Chelsea was helping by stabbing. So they, they finally get him to where they think he's dead or he's dead. Then they go back in and they're not sure. Now that they had to go through all this extra work with Rick, I guess, they decide, well, maybe uh, Susanna isn't dead. We need to go check on her. So they go in and Chelsea makes Susanna stab her. And I think they said she was stabbed like 21 or something times. Yeah, like Even though is... she was already dead, she goes and stabs her 20 plus times just to make sure. Oh my God. So then they get in the car and they leave. They go back to Chelsea's house. And can you imagine how much rage? I mean, I know. So he didn't do any of the stabbings. No, he, he didn't do he any of the dirty work. He, did, he didn't stab. He didn't shoot. He was just there. I don't know how it got out, though, because if, if uh, Rick and Andrew's mom are dead, then how did they? Or maybe somebody just testified. But 
Basically, it said that Rick had seen that his son was there and was begging, please, Andrew, no. Yeah, I I read that too. I read that he... So he, evidently, he was just standing there and he's like, God, this is happening to me. You're not even going to help me. That gives me chills. I know. I can't. But I you know, I mean, no, I'm not saying... I mean, I don't know what I would feel in that situation, but... Anytime I think about, God forbid, something happening to me, I worry. The first thing that comes to my mind are my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, how are they going to be? What are they going to do? Or, I mean, I know they're little, so I wonder, like, who's going to... Obviously, my family would take care of them, but, like, they're not going to have me, right? So, but then to know that your children, or at least one of your children, is the reason why you're dying. Like, I don't know how, how you take that. It's got to be horrible. Like, my own flesh and blood wants me out of this world. So, they at, no least, longer at least his mom never saw it coming. She was asleep, and she never saw her attackers. So, she doesn't know that her son... Well, if if he was the first person she called when their car got hit, then maybe she kind of knew. But my point is, she didn't physically see him that night. I just hope she went from dream world to heaven. Mm -hmm. Like, just a little transition over with no pain. Right away. Or anything. But, and I did read that he was yelling, no, God, no. Yeah. But I didn't know if that was because he saw Susie be shot or because he saw... He didn't see her get shot. He heard it. No, I'm saying saw her dead on the couch. Oh, oh, maybe. Or if because he saw that it was his son there. And then can you imagine like he's just standing there and you're being stabbed yeah. and shot at by these two girls. And one of them, you know, is your son's girlfriend that you've allowed in your house that you didn't like, but you went with it because that was his girlfriend. And I read that the investigator Standifer, mm-hmm. he had said that in his opinion, when Rick and Susanna were found, it looked like they did not know how hard it was to kill someone. Like, yes. they did not understand the magnitude that it takes to actually kill someone. Yeah, and I that, that too. Rick fought from the bedroom all the way into the living room, which I don't know how far apart well, that I is. Well, I mean, we have pictures of the house, and it's huge. Like, I don't know how many square feet it is, but it's massive. I mean, it's huge. Well, and obviously so. he was, the master bedroom must have been on the bottom floor, um, somewhat close to the living room because, I mean, I know if he was upstairs, he most likely still would have heard the gunshots, mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have been able to get there as quickly as he did. Yeah. So, I mean, just the fact that he was shot and still able to walk and then being stabbed and he's still walking. I mean, he was a big guy. He was like, oh, what is it? 6'4", 240 mm-hmm. pounds. So that's a lot of man to take down. And it took a gun and a knife and two girls to finally get him down. Either that or, uh, well, I'm sure that has something to do with it. But I don't remember where it, the shots were in his chest. And remember, they shot his mom in the head. Yeah, it said he was stabbed in the chest and back. Yeah. And where was he shot? In the same places? And he was stabbed in the, he was uh, shot in the chest. Okay. Which, so I mean, if a, you don't hit the heart or whatever, then, but I mean, also if it's adrenaline and he's, you know. I'm sure his heart's racing and then he's going after them. Yeah, survival, man. Your body yeah. just, you want to survive. Oh my gosh. It's human nature. They wanted to search his vehicle, right? Because yes. after they after they did the killing, they got in his car and they left. They left. They went back to Chelsea's, right? Yeah. So he allowed the initial search of his car, but then he withdrew his consent, leading the police to impound the Mustang. And in the car, they said they found a large amount of human blood that had once been in there, mostly in the back passenger seat and some on the front seats, but they had been cleaned. So I was thinking, okay... Did that they makes get sense. Blood on them, but I mean, it it stated 
a large amount of human blood. And because of how much it was clean, and I guess during that time, they weren't able to get enough to send off for DNA to find out exactly whose blood it was. But there was a lot, and they could tell it was human. Well, maybe one of them, maybe uh, either Chelsea or... um... Susanna got stabbed while they were trying to stab the other. That's true. You know, and they. I was just had... thinking, like, obviously, if Susanna's standing at point blank range of Susanna, obviously, when she shoots her, I'm sure she was splattered with all kinds of disgusting stuff. And then if they're wrestling with Rick, then they're going to get blood on them. But if they're wearing clothes, then it's going to absorb a lot of that blood. Mm-hmm. But the way I read it, I mean, I don't know how you take it, but it yeah. sounds like the blood was like massive, like in the car, not like brushed on there like not poured but was in the car yeah i didn't you know? read that any of them were injured during that scuffle but one of them could have been yeah and, and they didn't want they knew if they came forward with an injury then clearly that makes them they're going to ask too many questions and mm-hmm. and it would have had to have been Susanna because obviously it's his mustang so he's going to drive there's no blood in his area right Chelsea's his girl, so she's going to ride in the front, and then Susanna's going to be in the back. So it probably was hers then. So it would have had to maybe been... she got Maybe she cut herself mm-hmm. trying to stab him, or maybe he grabbed something and hit her with it in his fight for his life. Yeah, because they weren't arrested, and everything happened till the following, like three or four months later. So any injury she would have had would have been healed by yeah. then. And even if she had them, she would have hid them. And if, as long as they didn't do any kind of physical search her do any physical checks then they would have never known so I, I never saw anything about it but i didn't read that there was that much blood i just read that he submitted his car and that they mm-hmm. found blood in there so and of course it was the white mustang of course of so. course it was so chelsea's trial was the first trial to start and that was in may of 2005 So that was, what, a year and a half after the Mm -hmm. murders? Her fellow prisoner inmates testified at her trial that she had admitted in the role of the murders. She was donezo. She was in big trouble. Donezo. And um, (laughs) Susanna, her best friend, uh, testified against her and said that Chelsea told her to kill the Wamsleys so that she could share in the family's estate. And after three hours of deliberation, Chelsea was convicted of capital murder. And the jury deliberated for two hours before unanimously sentencing her to lethal injection. Ooh, so she didn't just get, row. yeah, straight to death. What do we say in Texas? If you kill us, we're going to kill you an back. for an eye. Yeah. So she was sentenced to lethal injection because of the crime's brutal and premeditated nature. Mm-hmm. And she was considered, quote unquote, danger to society. And she became the first female sentenced to death in Tarrant County. I read that too. And, of course, they appealed to get her sentence changed to life, which we read. Yeah, uh, that they switched that in, like, 2011, I think. 2012. Um, Yeah, it went from death by lethal injection to commuted to life. So her sentence was reduced uh, to where she would just spend the rest of her life in jail. I feel like Toledano should have got the death penalty, but I read that because she didn't want the death penalty, she pled guilty to murder. So because she pled guilty... She was just sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years. So in 2034, she will be eligible for parole, which is really messed up. Well, I agree. I mean, because she, did, gonna... she was the one that pulled the trigger. But if she hadn't been coerced, she wouldn't have done it. Okay, so what's going to happen in 30 years? Right, when she could be coerced else... again. I know. Exactly. I know. Right. And she's still going to be young. I mean, she'll be in her 50s. 
So she'll still can still live a 30 or 40 year life after that. Maybe she learned a lesson. She cray cray. <laughs> Her friend says, and if they're going to split it four ways, that's only 250 grand. I know to them it probably sounds like a lot, but it's not like you get to go live your life and do whatever you want for 250 grand. There's no way I believe they were just going to split that money. It was going to be like a whole Batman thing where you're, you kill him and then you kill him and you kill him. And then ultimately I end up with all the money. So I think but I'm just saying in her mind, like right. I'm I'm gonna take two people's life, and I'm gonna get away with it for 250 grand. And I well, know for her it wasn't about the money; it was for the friendship. You think so? I think so. You don't think it was, was to so, get to get she, out of that trailer such, house? No, I don't think she aspired to do that because she was had very low self esteem. Like I said earlier, she had a really bad home life. So for her, it was just about pleasing her friends and doing what they wanted her to do. She thought it was part of her job as a friend to do this for them. That's how they presented it to her. You have to do this. You're our friend. We really need your help. They just preyed on her vulnerability. So I don't think she did it for the money. She did it because she was help- She felt like she was helping her friends. And but That doesn't mean that she should get any lighter of a sentence. And what's weird is she was the first one to turn against them when she got arrested. You know, like if you're doing it for your friends, well-being, like they want you to do it. And then the first thing you tell them is like, yeah, I did it. They told me to. I don't want to die. Well, maybe that was from the detectives telling her, look, we can see that she's a manipulator. And once they, they probably told her, hey, look, you've been taken advantage of. Maybe when she saw it from that point of view, she was like, oh, maybe she was pissed and hurt and decided to turn against them. Mm -hmm. Right. Andrew went to trial in 2006 and he was convicted of capital murder. And however, jurors did not view Andrew as a future danger to society. So they just sentenced him to life in prison, which this all started because of him. Chelsea didn't go to him and say, let's kill your parents Mm -hmm. for money. He was the one. And then he heard his father on... Well, on physically on one occasion, he threw fits. He was a jerk to a lot of people. So in my opinion, I feel like he should have got, I think him and Chelsea's conviction should have been the same. I agree. In my opinion. I agree. Because he even, it was very brutal and premeditated. And yes, she did help stab them. But he stood by and watched his girlfriend and her friend murder his parents. And Mm -hmm. he did nothing. How is that not a danger to society? I agree. And I personally think it was because cause he's I mean, he's a handsome kid, mm-hmm. and she's scary. Mm-hmm. So I think that they were like, oh, she came from there. Oh, she's not good. Kind of like I was a little bit salty. But I think they looked at him and was like, oh, look at him. He's a handsome guy. He grew up in a rich neighborhood. He wouldn't do that again. It was just a mistake. Wrong. Yeah. Now that I his think... parents are dead, there's no one else for him to kill except no. for his sister. Yeah. Who probably stays a long way away I from know, him. I know I would. So he was sentenced to life in prison, but he's eligible for parole in 2044. Yeah. So, and he's serving his sentence in Kennedy, Texas. I didn't know there was a jail there. I didn't either. But that's where he's serving his. Cardenas, who sold the gun, he pled guilty and told him, yep, it's what I did. But he received a 50-year sentence, which is more than what Toledano got. Toledano only got 30 years. Well, maybe... Maybe because he well, no, I'm sorry, she got life, sorry. But yeah. she's eligible for parole in 30 years. His sentence is 50. However, he was eligible for parole in 2014. So I don't know if he got out or not. I, I mean, if he did. I, I hope for his daughter's sake, 
I hope that he was able to be there. I mean, I think he just made a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's a night manager at IHOP and he's older, right? He's 24 and these young 19 year olds are like mm-hmm. kind of looking up to him. Right. So I could see him being like, oh yeah, you want me to get a gun? I'll get you a gun. Just like, you know, when you're... <laughs> When your nieces are like, can it's you get like me some alcohol? for coffee. And Brittany, can you get me some alcohol? I'm like, yeah, I'll get you some alcohol. You know, like you're just doing something you think it's kind of innocent. But there's a big difference between providing alcohol and providing a gun. But what I'm saying is I can understand <laughs> how he may have thought like, oh, I'm just trying to help these kids out. I mean, I mean, he knew what they were going to use it for. Right. That's my point. And is then that- if he's told, I'll give you 250 grand allegedly to do it right that's a fourth of the money then he's like oh i don't have to be a shitty ihop night manager now i may be able to do something else maybe i can okay. get a better I career and i can make a better life doing that for, for my money for my my wife and my daughter yeah that's because he didn't go and watch them be killed he was like ah nah uh-uh. i gave you the gun you do what you want to do yeah. with it i just want the money when you get it so i mean i i'm okay with him being out but yeah what a twisted twisted tail you know damn 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 so some of the stuff that i read that we haven't covered yet these are just comments from the investigator he said that at this point andrew and chelsea have declined to talk to investigators since their arrest he described both of them as manipulators who fit well together that he said chelsea never had what andrew had and she was on board from the beginning for andrew it simply boiled down to money. He had been spoiled rotten all of his life, given everything on a silver platter. Once he realized he can't do what he wants without having those things, he decides he doesn't need his parents anymore. He believed Andrew thought police would suspect Sarah. He said he thought his sister was the wild child, the one with all the problems. I think he felt naturally we would look at her. But the thing about Sarah is as many things as she's gone through with her parents things she wasn't so proud of, she never got into a situation where she got violent. There's a big twist of irony here, and it is that the sister he detests will end up with everything. Ooh, ouch. That's got to burn a little bit there, Andrew. So she's out of jail. She gets everything. He's in jail and gets nothing. So I think justice prevailed in this one. I agree, and I think everybody pretty much got the right sentence, got what they deserved. I mean, they took two innocent lives for money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the thing about the Brumstroms, I mean, obviously, they didn't do it, but I feel like if they were there all the time and they're out, like, did they not question where they got a gun? I don't think they question where they got the gun. I mean, think about the living situation there. They live out in the country. I mean, as long as they show up with it, I, I don't think it was a matter of where did it come from. It's more of, hey, yeah, you can use my land to shoot your gun. I don't care. I mean, but I mean, remember we did read earlier where Ruth was worried because they came out there a lot and then they all of a sudden they stopped coming. Mm-hmm. And then it's finally. It's weird to me how just something about that. It's just weird that she saw on the news that they were killed, but then didn't put the names together like that. And, and they weren't coming around like something yeah. about that. And she didn't. Clearly, the that's not off. true. She was totally lying. Yeah. That's about, I think yeah. she may have knew more than she let on. I'm sure I'm she didn't sure. want to get in trouble, but it is really sad. I mean, it's one thing when strangers take your life, which is obviously terrifying, but how off heartbreaking is it to look up and the Mm-mm. person that you brought into this world and that you have loved and fed and nurtured your whole, their whole I'm life. I'm afraid I would snap. I think I would get, I think I would be so enraged with 
anger that I don't know what I would do. I think I would be so heartbroken. I don't know if I'd be able to react. But we did. We have lots of pictures of we do. each and every one of them. And maybe maybe there's some other little salty, low salty people that might understand what I mean when you see her picture. Right. And if you watch the videos about her and the episodes and like how she talks. and There was also a book written, you said, yeah, there's about two books. Andrew. There's two books. One of them is about kids that kill their parents. I think it's called Seeds of Evil. And his story is in there. And there's another one. I can't remember the name of it. I'm sorry. It's like a red cover and it has his picture on it. And um, it's about this story as well. Yeah. So, so rest in peace, Wamsley family. That's, Rick that's and Susanna. True. So until next week. Until next week. Dun, dun, dun. Bye. Case File 05. The Wamsleys. Closed.